Before we start, just know we are called declassified for a reason. That is all. Enjoy! Okay, let's start this. Yeah, hey guys. Welcome back to Declassified. This is episode 23. And for the first time in a really long time, we're back with Suze. Hello. <laughs> Apologies for my absence. I know you missed me. We but... did, we did. And because you missed our last big adventure... Yes. You missed out on some of the hilariousness that went on. And this is what we were given. Oh, God. When we entered the X-Filers Unite. Oh, wow. It's the packet. Yes. Okay. Because, so, just backstory is that um, Lindsay said, oh, we've got to give Susie her gift. And I said, what gift? I had no <laughs> recollection but now I know, I know what it is, and it's very exciting. We'll wait while you open it. Okay. I'm opening it. Wow. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Full page ad for Declassified. <laughs> tell, them, wow. tell them what the ad looks like, Suze. you got to describe it, because so, it's just so good. Um, have you ever heard of clip art? <laughs> <laughs> no, it uh so it's our logo, um our beautiful logo that was designed by Betsy Del Campo. And then come it's a little description of our podcast that is on our website. And um for those of you who were on um who stuck with us through last the last two episodes, maybe you skipped them, I don't know. We were um, the sponsors of an X-Filers convention. Was it a convention? We didn't know we were the sponsors. We didn't know we were gold sponsors until we checked in <laughs> and I gave my name. And everyone oh behind the table God. said, oh, oh, you're with Declassified. Wow. Oh, man, I really wish I was there. <laughs> you're the gold sponsor of this wow. event. But it was it? awesome. Oh, my God. And we missed you. Yes. And that just means we need to plan another Field trip. We do. The field trips have lots of fun, surprising elements. So we have to we have to decide on the next one. Maybe our next time we record, we should go to some local place that we've mm. either researched or talked about. Yeah, I, like it. I would like that. Something Actually, fun yeah. for the summer since mm -hmm. it's May, and um, I think it should involve sun and outdoors. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. We are planning on expanding our topics today. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of, you know, UFOs. We did some murders early on. Haven't come back to those in a while. So today I think we've all got a little murder or and or slash mystery. <clears throat> we left it a little bit open-ended. Yeah. So I decided to delve into the murder realm because... It's not something that I'm usually very interested in. I'm the same way. I it it just I Renee and I always yeah. are into yeah. murder. Yeah. <laughs> I know Renee and Linz really love the murders, and I you know it's it's definitely fascinating to me. There's just something about it that just like I prefer not 
to go down that to be the one doing the yeah it yeah. just makes my my head think too much about what could happen and if you're an alarmist and yeah like me it's it's not always a good thing but <laughs> i i did have one murder that i was really interested in covering and it's the Brendel family murder that actually happened in the town where I live, which oh. is Barrington, Rhode Island. Barrington, just backstory. I I need to visit Barrington. I've heard it's very nice. It's very it's nice. Very cute. Come, let's yeah. let's yeah. maybe we'll do our field trip there. Okay. Yeah. Sit by the river and drink Down East cider. Aloha some, Friday. Aloha Friday cider. But yeah, it's a it's a small suburb about ten minutes outside of Providence kind of diverse community because it draws a lot of people who work at Brown University mm. and the hospitals. Definitely, you know, middle to upper middle class community. Some people, if you've lived in Rhode Island long enough, call it Borington because not a lot <laughs> happens in hey, Barrington. I would rather live in a place where not a lot happens. <laughs> Borington. Truly. <laughs> but, um, we moved in 2008, and in the time that we've lived there, just occasionally I'll hear people mention this murder. Oh, yeah, you know that murder that happened where the whole family was killed. Oh, my God. And, in, again, because I'm not really in, I don't want to know, okay, now I live in a place where a family was, was murdered. It's just like one of those things you don't really want to know that much about. But it's always been interesting to Unless me. Unless you were Renee and I, and we would be like, Unless, I yes, want to go to that house right now. <laughs> so when I started to do my research, was shocked to learn that this was a national news story in 1991. People Magazine, LA Times. Oh my gosh. National, national coverage about yeah. this. So basically, this all happened in 1991, one mile from where I live right now. That's the other That's side story too. Is that when I looked at when, the, you, when I looked like... up the address, this happened 1.1 miles from my house where I live right now. I'm sorry. So actually, he was convicted. So the murder happened in 1991, but I'm going to tell you about um, the Brendel family. So they moved to Barrington in 1988. Ernest Brendel, his wife Alice, and their young daughter Emily. So Ernest was a patent lawyer, or had been a patent lawyer on Wall Street, and Alice was a librarian at the New York Public Library when they moved to Barrington. Alice got a job at Brown University, while Ernest, who took who decided to take on fewer legal cases, decided to turn his energies toward buying a business and running it. I don't know what kind of business mm. that was. I don't know if it was like a small side business and then he was still doing legal consulting on the side. Right. But by all accounts, he was a very hands-on father. Like, I think Alice you know, was working full-time at Brown and he was more like work-from-home, stay-at-home yeah. dad, caregiver for their daughter. So in early 1989, Ernest met Christopher Hightower, a 42-year-old commodities broker advisor. This guy, Christopher Hightower, was also a soccer coach, a Sunday school teacher in Barrington at the Barrington Congregational Church. <laughs> the Sunday school teachers always they are. Just, they are. It's a you know, yeah. That just sets off alarm bells in my brain right away. Mm -hmm. 
So Hightower lived with his wife, Susan, her parents, and their two young sons a couple miles from Brendel's home. In March of that year, the two men met, and I don't know how they met, didn't come across that information, but they met probably through town, lived yeah. in the same yeah. neighborhood, had kids maybe around the same age, I can only imagine. Hightower must have seemed like a credible guy in the community, like people are that you yeah. come across with oh yeah they've got kids they yeah you know yeah that's how yeah. that's that's it, how it happens that's you, exactly how you meet people when you're a parent and yeah. that you're in a town you meet people at the soccer field at yeah. the baseball field at the lacrosse field and you just assume well these people are doing what i'm doing right now in yeah. my life so right. they must be yeah you know outstanding citizens well at yeah. least normal because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a upstanding citizen of like a high caliber. I just would say I'm all right. So that March, the men agreed that Hightower would become Brendel's investment broker and manage his $15,000 commodities account. So, Which isn't that isn't big. That big. I mean, even in 91, I mean, we're not talking. I imagine you probably met the guy. Yeah. Brendel met the guy found out what he did, and Hightower was probably looking for business and right. said, hey, I've got this, you know, if you want to put your funds over here, I right. can manage them yeah. for you. So apparently for two years, Brendel failed to make a profit off of this His 15. Um, investment. <laughs> and eventually he was fed up with Hightower. In a letter dated May 1st of that year, Brendel accused him of falsifying falsifying his trade record and demanded a refund of half his initial investment plus $2,000 he had loaned Hightower for computer equipment to help launch his trading okay, business. Okay, okay. Right there. Right there. I know. That's like, I know. Uh, also, I'm going to loan a stranger. I know. I know. But People uh, don't even loan their relatives that. So that's where it got a little weird for me and I thought you know what maybe Ernest Brendel was just an earnest really, dude he was a, just a good <laughs> he was a good guy and he saw this guy around town and maybe Hightower was this you know very convincing charismatic guy and was like mm. maybe feeding him stories yeah. like look I'm already making you money if you throw in an extra 2k to help me upstart my business you'll get that back and then some and I feel like he probably just fell victim to this scam. Yeah. People that, like, manipulate... People are very good at manipulating yes. other yeah. people. Yes. Yeah. You, I, yeah. I've been listening to a podcast called Who the Hell is Hamish, which I... Oh, I... I recommend, but it's... No, I listened to the whole thing. The it's, things that this, this man, this, like, con artist, made other people, or convinced other people to do for him or with him is unbelievable you're like how are these people not i know but if you're if you're, if you're like distrustful i'm like the most like distrustful person which isn't a good thing no either. but it's good because That's you won't get way to live you, you won't get taken advantage yeah. of but the who the hell is hamish this guy was super charismatic and people can be taken advantage of easily yeah yeah, yeah. so you want to believe the best yeah you do you want to believe the best of people. unless you're super distrusting like cheryl <laughs> right <laughs> Then you Unless you think worse. everyone's an asshole first, and <laughs> then they like have to go. win you over. Really. That's it really. Um, but it does, it sounds like Ernest was um, was suspicious, and so 
in July, um, Ernest Brandel filed a formal complaint with the state's Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, which gave Hightower two months to respond to Brendel's charge or pay the money back. So he like was in full. In full. So he was going through all the steps, basically like, look, I gave you this money. Right. Plus 2000 I'm not seeing a profit. It's been two years. I want, I'm going to file a complaint and I want my money back. And he's a lawyer. And he's a lawyer, too. Right, 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 right. He's a lawyer, too. So, um, okay, so Hightower did not, did not respond, um, <laughs> in any way. And then on- They live in the same that's, town. They're two miles away. So then on September 17th, Hightower's business computers were repossessed and his trading license put in jeopardy. I don't know if it was a result of this complaint or maybe he was doing this to other people and it all kind of came crashing down mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, his personal life had reached a crisis point as well. That same day, Hightower told his wife, who had declared her intent to divorce, that he had paid $5,000 to have her killed. Okay, wait. <laughs> and an additional 1000 to make sure it looked like an accident. So... This, was this this must be public record. I didn't find any other leads on this, but in my mind, this guy's business was falling apart. He was becoming exposed for all of the scams. He needs the insurance money for her death. Why he told her that? Because he's pissed. I don't know, but why would he say... It's just not going to like yeah. do anything positive for him. Yeah, so I don't know if she must have said... I want a divorce, like, this is a mess. And he was like, well, by the way, <laughs> fine, you can divorce me, but I just almost paid $5,000 to have it, you killed. It's kind of like, but you're, I, you're fired. And no, but I quit first. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but maybe in 1991 it was. Yeah. You could have probably found somebody in Rhode Island or Boston. South yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. yeah. So two days later, um, Providence Family Court barred him from any contact with her or their two sons. So it sounds like she took out a restraining order. <laughs> that same day, Smart woman. September 17th, that same afternoon, Hightower bought um, a Bear Brand Devastator crossbow and oh. six arrows at a sports shop in nearby Seacrunk, Mass. <laughs> <laughs> so... Friday, September 20th, this is timeline of events now. Yeah. Friday, September 20th began as usual for the Brendels. Ernest drove Alice to work and saw Emily off to school, but that was the last time police could account for his whereabouts. Later that morning, the CTFC received a call from an unidentified man saying that Brendel would withdraw his complaint against Hightower. Yes. What is the CTFC? The CTFC is the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. Oh, okay. I knew I heard so, it before. Yeah, so there was the, the complaint. So Ernest Brendel had filed that complaint. Yep. So that was a formal complaint that I think launched the investigation yep. against Hightower. And then mysteriously, a man called to withdraw the complaint. Yep. So police say Hightower... This is where it gets really sad. So that happened in the morning. Wife goes to, to work. work. Ernest drops her off. 
last time Ernest's whereabouts can be accounted for. Later that afternoon, also on that Friday, police say that Hightower picked Emily up from the YMCA where she attended an after-school program. So now this is the eight-year-old Wait. daughter was picked up by that by other man, the other man at the YMCA. And now this is why I know, yes, I have more to say about this. That is why everyone needs to have a secret word with their family. Yeah, 100%. Because those, um, and we talked to Jen, and remember we've gotten into conversations at work about this, mm-hmm. that the sort of no's, the kind of no's, whatever you want to call them, are not also okay sometimes. So th- those people need to have that family mm-hmm. secret word mm-hmm. in your family to pick up. Oh, So this YMCA we're actually members of in our town. Oh my God. And I recently, this is like over the past year, I, I go there to work out. And I was leaving and I asked for a job application for my son, my oldest, because I thought, well, you know, summer camp counselor. Yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, asked the front desk, you know, do you have any summer job applications? Why I'm doing this is beyond me, but hello, welcome to modern. I thought you were about to say you were asking for an application. I'm like, Cheryl, you are not going to be No, it really wouldn't be the strangest thing, (laughs) honestly. But no, asking for my son, and she said, well, how old is he? And I think he was 15 at the time. I said, but he'll be 16 next summer. she said, oh, you need to be 18. And I'm like, hmm, well, okay. It seemed strange because I know they usually yeah. have, like, junior camp counselors. So told that story to a friend of mine in town, and she said, well, that's because of that that girl that was that was picked up by Holy the murderer. God. And I said, what do you mean? And she's like, after that happened, they had to change all the all the policies because so I think I think that there was probably they probably had teenagers working there and this I can't even tell you how much it breaks my heart yeah. to think because that there's somebody out in the world right now right, who released this eight year old who knows girl that they did. That who knows what they did and it just it's so sad to Because me. you're horrible. just a young person yeah. trying to work yeah. and so listen, so you it's, would never expect that of like an adult that you, you know. Yeah. But so the other thing, so two things happened. They said that Y staff agreed to turn the to turn Emily over to Hightower after he showed them her father's driver's license. What? Oh. And someone oh, that would creep me out. Someone had called the Y earlier to say the father was held up in a meeting and wanted Hightower to take Emily home. So it was a combination of he probably at this point had either killed Ernest yeah, or oh had kidnapped him, took his license, placed the phone call, and then as proof said, look, dad gave me his license and said that this was okay. Uh, an adult would give over the kid at that point, I think, because, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like... I know. If it's a why or something, like, our, I'm thinking of the club we go to work out... Easily, any of those adults working the thing would have given a kid to that person. Maybe they won't after they hear this. True. So we do know that Alice, the the wife, returned home by bus at 6 p.m. that night, but Ernest did not meet her at the bus stop as he did every evening. The family was last heard from on Saturday morning, 
when Alice called a family friend to say Ernest could not make a planned trip to Yale for a football game. So last phone call from Alice, still alive, happened Saturday morning. So this string of events. So Okay, that's weird knows. too. So unless she's having an affair with Hightower. Oh. Interesting. <laughs> or he was holding her hostage. I think more holding hostage. Oh. But this is where it gets even stranger. So then Sunday afternoon, Hightower drove in the Brendel's Camry to see Ernest's youngest sister in Guilford, Connecticut. Okay, wait a second. Yes. Say it again. Hightower. Yes. Murderer. Yes. In Ernest's car. car. Drove to see Ernest's sister. That's what I was trying to get. Yes. Like, as in, I have possibly just murdered your brother. I've stolen his car. And now I'm going to drive to Guilford, Connecticut, where he told her a bizarre story that his own family, the Hightower family, and the Brendels had be, had been kidnapped. What? And that she must come up with $75,000 toward a total $300,000 ransom. So basically, make the first payment now. I need $75,000 now over this $300,000 ransom. To back up his claim, he pointed out the bloodstains on the car. He was like, look, this has to be a true story because I'm driving your brother's car. Here are the bloodstains. He's already in danger, and um, you need to give me money. So apparently the next day she called police, who then picked up Hightower. So after Hightower left the sister's house in Connecticut, she called the police. Good. With information. So this guy was brazen enough. Did she call them the next day or that day? It doesn't say the day, but he was picked up the next day. So I don't know how long he, um, I don't know how long he was at her house. I don't know how long this went on. Again, like, days before cell phones where you could reach someone immediately. So it's, see, I I can only assume that she would have called right Right. then and there. Right. But when you think about it, if this guy was at your house, you would be trying to call 911 at the same time. So I don't know if she was really scared and freaked out. Yeah. And, but the fact that um, she escaped with her life is kind of crazy to me. If this guy was this crazy, this disturbed. And well, the maybe because he trying to get money. It's like, why you're never gonna get away with that now? Like you've now established yourself as a mm-hmm. connection, right? right. Well, but see, he probably didn't. Having picked up, the he didn't kill her because he thought she was gonna be the cash cow that he needed. But why would he think why that she would have that much money? I wonder if he had some information on her. Oh, he had sure. to. He must it's have like, gone through paperwork. And, yeah. yeah. Is Guilford, Connecticut also, like, upscale? Yeah. Yeah. Fairly upscale. A lot of Connecticut is. Yes. So he's yeah. probably like, yep. Cha-ching. Maybe he thought he could, you know, get some money from her and then skip town. But, right. Um, so that was all in September, and there was a search that took place for two months to find the bodies. So they had Hightower in custody, but they couldn't find the whereabouts of um, the family, the Brendel family. Did he admit to killing them? No. 
um, did not admit to it. So it wasn't until November 7th, um, almost two months later, that the bodies were found less than one mile from the house where they lived. The bodies of eight-year-old Emily Brendel, her mother Alice, 46, and father Ernest, 53, were found in shallow graves at the edge of a field by a woman walking her dog in the same spot where I have also walked my dog. It's a park. Ooh. It's a it's land that's owned by um, St. Andrew's Private School, but it's made available for the town. It's just kind of like an open green field. space, and people walk their dogs there, and there's um, soccer fields there. Autopsies found that Ernest Brendel, 53, died of arrow wounds to the chest and had also been struck on the head with a blunt instrument. Alice Brendel, 46, apparently was strangled with a piece of cloth knotted around her neck. The autopsy on their daughter was inconclusive. There were no visible signs of trauma, either internally or externally. Maybe he smothered her. Which basically... Oh, see, you do know your murders, Lindsay. (laughs) You know your murders, which basically means you can eliminate almost everything but asphyxiation. Yep. So maybe he was a little bit more... Humane about that's I mean, what I'm, it sounds disturbing. No, but if but he had a kid, I'm sure that like putting a pillow over someone's face is probably easier not to sound disturbing, yeah, but no. easier because you're not Ugh. looking at them. Um, but you're looking at the cloth. Yeah. Um, the girl's body, so Emily's body was found beneath her mother's in the same shallow grave. Oh, oh my god. Um, And then this is, you know, one more bizarre turn of events. Um, At trial, um, at trial, a jury rejected the account given by Hightower, um, in which he claimed this was his alibi. Um, He claimed that Asian drug traffickers had handcuffed him and forced him to watch while they killed the family. He testified, Hightower, testified that Brendel had been involved in the heroin trade and that members of an Asian organized crime group had killed the Brendels over $2 million in missing drug money. He said the gangsters then forced him to bury the bodies. That doesn't yeah, even okay. make sense, you asshole. It's like, like come uh, on. Why would, why would you be there? Why would you be there to be forced to watch this? Why are you involved in it at all? Why are you involved in the drug? And how is it that you wouldn't be able to trace... Like, what is this random Asian heroin drug trafficking? Sorry, but yeah. I don't, I've never heard of such a thing, <laughs> even in the 90s. The police searching the family's car later found four teeth, a nearly oh. empty 50-pound bag of lime that may have been used in the disposal of the bodies, a crossbow, and a sawed-off shotgun. So he wasn't very um, crafty no. in trying to cover any of this up. Um, and it sounds like he didn't shoot any of them. So what right. was, like, why what, a sawed-off shotgun? And what, but, and Unless he was giving that. Who killed the, someone with a crossbow? Weirdos. Murder lady. <laughs> no. over there. I'm looking at you. You know what it reminds me of is, um, have you guys seen We Need to Talk About Kevin? No, but I've heard, is that the one that My Favorite Murder always talks about? Yes. Is it a Netflix show or something? It might be on Netflix now, but it's actually probably close to 10 years old now. Yeah. But it's really good. It's about, Mm -hmm. like, this kid that just, it was... It's a documentary. No, it's a, it's a, like, narrative, like, movie. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. 
and it's with Tilda Swinton and Ezra Miller and John C. Riley is the dad and like oh he's but he's like so serious As that's what movie? I was gonna say I'm like in a serious is it yeah. based on a true story or no but it I mean it may as well be because yeah. it's just about this kid that like you know grows up kind of isolated and then ends up killing his family with crossbows and then um. moves on to the high school dance locks everybody in that is way too way too close to home in the last like two months yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. so it's a story that we've heard far too many times but yeah not based on reality but it reminds me of that it's like a crossbow yeah so what struck me as really strange in all of this is that how could somebody do this one like heinous seemingly isolated incident how could you have the capacity right to do this without a history yeah right like a long history right how is it possible that there were no other signs. charges or signs or you know usually you hear crimes you know after the fact you might hear that he was connected to other right. murders or what what was yeah. the history unless it was like a snap that happened well, then in that's the moment, equally but that's fascinating to me too. That right. somebody could really live this seemingly normal life yeah. and have that much of a of a break and over seventeen thousand dollars. Like you right. would think he would just go get a loan well, and that... pay him back with the like bank money. Like I just don't yes. get it. So at the time of his conviction in 1993, Hightower was the seventh defendant in Rhode Island state history to receive a prison sentence of life without chance of parole. Wow. Which is great. Um, he started serving at the Adult Correctional Institute institutions in Cranston, Rhode Island, which they call the ACI. Um, but a month after his conviction, he was attacked in the prison's high security unit and injured seriously enough to require stitches. That prompted prison officials to try to transfer him to a prison in another state because states will often exchange inmates when they become targeted mm-hmm. by other inmates if they pose a security risk. Probably only if they're white. Mm. No, but if you know, in the prison system, let me just yeah. tell you. Yeah, that's right. Um, if you've killed ki- uh, kids, kids yeah. or, or women, uh, no, or raped them. Yeah, you are, you are def- targeted. You are targeted. targeted. Yeah. So that's what that was How the first thing it? I thought. The fact that he had killed a, a child. Yeah, yeah. That oh, it was yeah. you know in such a small state. It was I'm sure at the time. Yeah. Well, it was, oh, it was the, the biggest. News. Yeah, so I'm sure they're like you ask like there. how would they know? But the news. Yeah, they yeah. read People magazine. Yeah, yeah, and they watch TV. So um, Rhode Island arranged a swap with the Illinois prison system, which is where he is now currently. Um, almost seventy. This is the crazy part. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, wait. <laughs> well, just ch- has not this all been crazy? <laughs> the chilling for those who are really, you know, into um, serial killers. Yeah. And all of that. This was, I found this really chilling to me. So oh, when he, um, so this guy, Alan um, fin- Feinstein, who. Yeah, he's, is he related to I Diane? Think- Uh, could be could be my close personal friend Diane but he was the ACI's psychologist um during the time that Hightower was was there in prison um and so we had to do a lot of interviewing of him at that time so right before Feinstein retired from the ACI he was just asked I think by reporters to talk about his time there and some of the most um 
you know, intriguing things that had happened to him. And um, he recalls that examining Hightower was one of the most chilling experiences of his career. He would give you the creeps, Feinstein said. He exhibited no humanity at all. Ooh. You look, he said, with some people you just know, you look into their eyes and you don't see a soul. There is just nothing there. It is just hardcore evil personified. Ooh. And this was a guy Who'd who worked over for over 35 years in the prison system interviewing criminals. And so again, the fact that this guy didn't have a history of serial yeah. murders. It's almost like when people describe a Ted Bundy. Yes. Or those yeah. like, you know. No, but even Ted Bundy had like a spark in his eye. Like if he had no- nothing, the fact that no one saw this in a small, in Boring Town. Borington. <laughs> in right. Borington. I am just shocked because, okay, there's always a few weirdos in people's towns. Yeah. And you can, and everyone kind of knows, and you kind of stay clear of them on the soccer field or baseball field, and you're just kind of like, eh, not interested. I think that's me in my town. (laughs) Sure. Oh my God, Cheryl. No, you're the one being like, don't talk to me. (laughs) You might be weird. I just stand with my dog off to the side, yeah, my I social don't... dog, and I'm like, no. Yeah, don't talk to them. That's how I would be. Like, <laughs> I don't sometimes, want to be to talk to well, them. sometimes you do. You just try and like, and that's yeah. when I put my sunglasses on my yeah. hat really yeah. down low. Yeah. Um, because. But some your bright blonde hair is. So yeah, I'm like, <laughs> but point being, it like, how did he stay under the radar for that long? And how does somebody snap all at once to that extreme? So I think, I feel like there's bodies buried somewhere, buried somewhere with I'm, this guy. I don't there think has this to be. It. I really don't think this is it. It, it can't be the one, the one up. Like, so did, and did people, Mag, did you find any other info about Hightower, is it Hightower? Hightower, yeah. Hightower's ex. Did she, like, get interviewed and, like, yeah, no, he's but screwed that, up? I didn't. I did not. Because the thing that. is, is, like, it'd be interesting if they went back to her and been like, did you have any signs that, or in New York, mm-hmm. if he was, like, because. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, like, looking back retrospectively, she's she probably would say, like, oh, well, yes. Red but, flag, red but, flag. Right. But in the moment, you're never, you're never thinking that your partner is a serial killer or killer yeah Yeah. wow cheryl that was a good story glad you guys liked it so are you are you glad that you finally looked it up now that all your friends kind of allude so it's it's really sad so like i said this is about a mile from my house there's a little we have three little neighborhood elementary schools in our town that are k through three And the Brendel family lived right across the street from one of them. And at the time, you know, she was this, Emily was a third grader at that school. And I, when I drive to work every day, I see parents walking their kids to this little elementary school. And so you're going to think, and now you're going to think about it. I Googled the address last night to see what the house looked like. I got down this rabbit hole of Zillow and when did it sell? And then I thought to myself, Oh, like, you just like Zillow. So would, that's why you were on there. Buy, no, but who would buy that house? But did it happen? Oh, people get freaky and like to do that. Some people just are like, but you have to 
it has to be disclosed, right? That in someone... some states, no, in, in certain states, and I don't know, I think Massachusetts is because down the road, I think I've told you guys this, that one of the, the big houses, middle of the road down here, the husband uh, committed suicide in their garage. Mm. Super nice family. That happened and so they can't, And they cannot sell the house, and it's a single mom and her two kids, and they're really, really nice family, and um, it's it's really sad. And and I'm sure it's much harder now with the you know internet and everything. Being oh yeah, so available back then. You could probably wait a few years if somebody came from out of town if it wasn't disclosed. Yeah, I I, I forget the rules, but I think it's state by state. Yeah, mm. but I did look. So the house, you know, like I said, I pass it almost every day, and. Now, now that I know, I've Googled it, now I know which house it is. There's huge, it's almost like whoever bought it must have tried to plant shrubs to, cover to it. obscure the house because there's these giant, and it doesn't look natural the way that the shrubs are. They're, That's what we're trying to do out here. <laughs> it looks really nice, yeah. I have to say. I what are you that. trying to hide from? I know. <laughs> so... Yeah, so a little, you know, sad, but I, I just, I can't imagine how something like that, because I live there now, I, I can't even imagine how something like that would just completely rock a, yeah. a town. Yeah. Like, I, I can't even imagine. So. And still, because it's not, it's 20-something years later, so mm -hmm. there are people in town that clearly... Oh, yeah, yes. his My friend, yeah, our good friend who talks about it all the time, <laughs> and it's alarming. <laughs> alarming. Well, thank you, Cheryl. That was amazing. So what's, um, what's up next? So we have something completely different to like lighten up the mood a little bit. I know this is going to be a favorite of Lindsay's because she likes undecipherable texts. Yes. Ooh. Ciphers. Yes. And codes. Mm -hmm. Give so, it to me, Susie. All right. We are covering today the Voynich Manuscript. Ooh, ooh. It's a roughly 250-page book written in an entirely unknown language slash writing system. It's what? been carbon dated back to the 1400s and includes illustrations of plants that don't resemble any known species. Aliens. Which to me, I'm like, maybe they're just a bad artist. Like, <laughs> I mean, well, back then, right? I have heard about this, but I don't know that much about it. So keep going. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. There, okay. So I'll say this is a little all over the place because there's so much on it in terms of theories and theories on who wrote it, like what's in it, and then you could go down so many rabbit holes. Which I, I think didn't. one of the theories is aliens. Did you cross that? I didn't cross that. Okay. Um, but I'm sure that's, that's definitely the theory. Like, I think it's that, always, that should just you always be a theory. <laughs> I think it should always it. be a theory. Oh, by the way, sorry, sidebar. Okay. Um, maybe our next field trip, you can find the next MUFON meeting. I've been looking. Okay. There's a big conference in some place where we'd have to get on a plane. Okay. I don't remember now. It sounded very expensive. Yeah. Mm. If someone wants to sponsor our trip. <laughs> then we'll go. Then we'll go. Just as Or CrimeCon. Because CrimeCon is oh, happening. I've always wanted it. So we should, we should seriously think about it for next year. It's 
the first weekend in June, um, and it's in New Orleans. I'm not sure if it's always in New Orleans, but it's three days, and, like, Dateline's doing a big panel, and all these, like, yeah, and I think um, Karen and Georgia are there. Like, there's a ton of people that we listen to their podcasts, and they all go there, but I think we should um, think about it as our next girls' trip. Mm -hmm. Um, Is anyone turning 40 soon? I'll be 30 next June. Oh, dear God. Yes. So, yes. yeah. And, oh, year. dear God, were you saying, oh, dear God, that she's going to be 30? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's due Susie's 30th birthday. It, it's, so Is it's it gonna in be... June of next year? Yes. Stop. Okay. Okay. We just made a plan. All right. Okay. We're doing You've it. You've got a year to save? Or yeah. Or sponsoring. Yes. And honestly, yes. New Orleans, really not that expensive to get to. You can yeah. find pretty decent Right. Oh my god, we're doing it. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Someone sponsor us. It makes turning 30 not so... That will be so fun! Um, so, that's really exciting. Now I just want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I won't. Okay. Like, secret no. text. Let's get back to, back. back to the secret text. I love it! Go! Okay. Uh, it's named for the Polish book dealer who purchased it in 1912. Ooh. 12. It is believed to have been intended as a medical text. Its first confirmed owner was uh, George Barish, an alchemist from Prague who discovered it taking up space uselessly in his library. So I don't know how he, like, got it. Um, Barish tried to investigate the manuscript's origins to no avail. So wait, the first guy that owned it... Before he sold it. Before he sold it, he tried to find out, too. Yeah, I mean, the first confirmed, so, like, on paper, the first person that we know couldn't figure out where it was from. So, they think it may have been composed in Italy during the Italian Renaissance. Some of the pages are missing. Um, The text is written from left to right, and most of the pages have illustrations or diagrams. Some are, some pages are, like, foldable, too. Wait, now, left to right is is the right way. That's the way, Left to right, Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. yeah, so we're just, so I'm just, just working Oh, I thought you, okay. Cheryl and I, yeah, just we, for the <laughs> listeners out there, Cheryl and I are literally writing in the air and write, try, thinking that Susie meant the wrong way, so we're writing the wrong way, and then we're like, wait, that's not left to right. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, yeah, you do write left to right. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, they were just noting how it was formatted. Yeah, because some yeah. languages go the other way, uh, right oh, to really? left. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I think... It's an Asian language. I think, I, yeah. I can't remember. I know Arabic goes a, a, is read a different way, but I don't know if it's necessarily right written, written left to okay. left. But yeah. So, left to right. And then, um, so the text itself, every page in the manuscript contains text mostly in an unidentified language, but some have extraneous writing in Latin script. Um, so most of it is written in in a script that they can't cipher. So in the Latin, like, notes on the side, have they, what is is the, what's the translation? Did they say anything about that? They didn't say anything about that. Um, I mean, I probably could have gone down that rabbit rabbit holes you could go down, like, in terms of, like, structure of the text, too, Mm, how it's set up, so, like, this could probably honestly be its own series of like very cool two or three episodes yeah. just going down all these like yeah. holes. Yeah. 
So I did like a very brief overview. We can always revisit it if we want. Um, the most of the characters are composed of one or two simple pen strokes, and some dispute um, exists as to whether certain characters are distinct or if they're um, sorry are distinct. But a script of twenty to twenty-five characters would virtually account for all of the text. The exceptions are a few dozen rarer characters that only occur once or twice each, and there's no obvious punctuation. So our alphabet is 26 letters, mm -hmm. so this one's 20 to 25. How many pages was it? 240. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's big. And then we'll go into what is in there. So the overall impression uh, leaves that the manuscript was meant to serve as, now I'm going to try this, it's a big word, uh, pharmacopoeia, or to address topics in medieval or early modern medicine. However, the puzzling details of illustrations have fueled many theories about the book's origin, the context of, it, of its text, and the purpose for which it was intended. So what's in there? So we've got some herbal uh, descriptions. So each page displays one or two plants and a few paragraphs of text, a format typical of European herbals of the time. So that's worth noting. Um, none of the plants depicted are unambiguous. Oh my God, I today. They're not identifiable. Okay. Can't figure out where they are, where they're from. And then astronomical. So some some of the pages, so 20, so sorry, there's 112 pages dedicated to herbology, and then astrology has 21 pages that contain circular diagrams suggestive of astronomy or astrology. Um, and so like astronomy is like actual plants, suns, moons, whatever. And then astrology is like the signs, so yeah. cancer, whatever. And this was astrology or astronomy? I'm sorry. Both. It's both. It was both. both. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then biology, a dense, continuous text interspersed with figures mostly showing small nude women, some wearing crowns, <laughs> bathing in pools or tubs, connected by an elaborate network of pipes. Small nude women mm -hmm. connected by an elaborate maze of pipes yep and so small meaning <laughs> short or meaning like they drew it they small. drew it small <laughs> okay. okay okay all right <laughs> yeah so they weren't little people yes well we all know that every culture has their little people they that do. they <laughs> Susie takes offense to that <laughs> being the shortest I, because I'm the you know human boring <laughs> Middle class, white, short person. lady. <laughs> All right, you're the youngest though, Susie. My, you got that going for you. Yeah. Well, I'm creeping up on you guys. <laughs> you better wait. I'm turning thirty. It's coming. All right. Um, and then there's cosmological pages. Um, so more circular diagrams, but they're of an obscure nature. This section has foldouts that um contain maps or diagrams with nine islands 
connected by causeways and containing castles um, and containing what they think are volcanoes as well. So kind of like a map. Uh, pharmaceutical, so uh, jarrings of like plant parts that can be used in apothecary. Oh, apothecary. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to help you, but uh, then I was like, I can't say it right now either. I know, but I, I can't speak. And then we also have some recipes. Um, recipes? Yes. Like, I have a whole theory on this right okay. now. I'm so excited. But I don't want to say it until you, you hear more. Yeah. Okay. So the Voynich manus Manuscript has been studied by many professional, professional and amateur cryptographers, including American and British codebreakers for both World War One and World War Two. So really smart motherfuckers. Yes. Like, really smart. No one has yet demonstrably deciphered the text, and it has become a famous case in the history of cryptography. Um, none of the many hypothes hypotheses proposed over the last hundred years has been independently verified. The amount of testing they have, have done, done on it is, like, mm. insane. Like, testing on the paper? They everything. tested everything. They tested the parchment, the binding, the ink, the paint. Like, every possible thing that they could test, they tested. Were they able to date? Is that where the 1400 yeah. date so, yes. comes in? Like, the medieval? Yes. And we can, we can talk about that a little bit, because we'll, we'll get into it a little bit. But basically, one of the theories is that, it, is that it's a fraud. But... Um, carbon dating disproves that theory because it, it dates it to the 1400s. Who's the author? We have a lot of theories here. Um, German friar, Albertus Mangus, which is an awesome name, Franciscan friar and polymath Roger Bacon, Italian engineer Giovanni Fontana, or a friend. Um, some suspect that Voynich, who the manuscript is named after, of having fabricated... And he's, and he's the second owner. The guy who bought it from the... The B guy. Yes. The okay. book dealer. Yeah. Polish book dealer. Yep. Um, he's an antique... Yeah, he was an antique book dealer um, and probably had the necessary knowledge and means to know that a lost book by Roger Bacon would have been worth a fortune. So you this know what this is so cool. This is I'm, you know what this is reminding me of. Did any of you guys see Melissa McCarthy's um, recent? I think it was up for an Oscar. Um, please, please oh, forgive me. Yes, she. It was about an will, author. Could you? Will? Would you ever forgive me? Something like that. Yeah. Um, it was. Um, Lee Israel, I think, was her name. It was based on a true story. Mm. She was a writer, and she loved writing books about, like, really obscure people, or or not so obscure. I think she did one biography on Estee Lauder, if I'm not mistaken. And it just people weren't that interested in the people she picked to do biographies mm. on. So she started, and she was in New York, and she got really poor. So... I think the original letter that she sold might have been a real letter. I'm not quite sure, but she realized that she could get money. And she had a unique, um, like, way of reading an author and knowing how their, like, 
speech. Write something. And so she did a ton of letters, and she sold them to the same person for a while, and then she realized I got to branch out. And then they all these old bookshops started talking to each other, and she got arrested. Yeah. So that's kind of what they this theory is is that the book dealer knew like since um, Bacon was one of the people that they thought was purported to have written it he knew what the what how he would have written it and but this isn't like Francis Bacon which no, Bacon no. is this Roger Bacon okay and Roger Bacon is he a was what? a Franciscan friar and polymath okay um so this book dealer would have known like how much this would have was Got worth um, but Eamon Duffy, I don't know who he is, but he says that the radiocarbon dating of the parchment effectively rules out any possibility that the manuscript is a post-medieval forgery, as the consistency of the pages indicate from a single source, and it is inconceivable that a quantity of the unused parchment would be available to anyone. Yeah, could have survived from, um, the early 15th century. Susie, do you know how the pages were um, found? Um, goat skin. Okay, so it was like a cover. Like oh! A, yeah, they, um, I think I read that the cover had like since disintegrated. Mm-hmm. Might not have, I might not have put it here, but yeah, it was bound by uh, <laughs> yeah, goat skin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Another theory of, like, how this was written isn't exactly aliens, but sort of. This is actually something we should look... How is it aliens, sort of? Listen. Listen. This actually is so cool, and we should do an episode just on, on this. It's called Glossolalia. And it's speaking in tongues. Oh, yeah. In which it's oh. a phenomenon in which people speak languages unknown to them. Yes. Yeah, I have people. a story about that. Oh. Is it is that the term for the phenomenon across the board yeah. of speaking in mm-hmm. tongues? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have a story, a real life story about Let's that. Okay. Hear it. You, you want to like, hear it right now? Yeah, or yeah. you save it for an episode. Well, so like- I actually um, had this really kooky chemistry teacher in high school. So did I. This is the most... All chemistry teachers <laughs> yeah. are cooking. This is the most bizarre too. story, but, um, so I went to a Catholic high school, and... I didn't know that. Um, Boy. Yeah, so just, so just 9 through 12, and I had this really, um, uh, sort of fringe, kooky chemistry teacher lady. All in on this. And... <laughs> She was one of these, like, I think she was probably um, maybe a little outcast herself as a teen, and so was looking to connect with the students, and one day in class happened to say that she could speak in tongues, and so because we were all high school students who didn't want to do chemistry, we were like, oh, can you do it for (laughs) us right now? And so she's was like she was like you really want me to do it right now and we were like you yeah. would get fired for we, that yeah. so that's what I mean it was yeah. thinking back to this it was the most inappropriate thing 
And now that I'm older, I feel like the context is that she probably, she was a, she was, she was wanted to fit in. She wanted to fit in with the high school students who didn't want to do chemistry. And so she proceeded to close the door, (laughs) close the shades to the classroom. Her eyes turned red. I think at that point, at that point, all of us, my friends and I looked at each other like, holy shit, like, what is going down? I want yeah. out of this. Yeah. I, we were all torn between, like, I yeah. think we will choose chemistry because I don't know what the fuck is about to go down. Holy shit. And she proceeded to stand in front of the classroom. Her eyes rolled in the back of her head. Shut up. And she basically, and um, I, my, one of my best friends I know listens to this podcast, was in my chemistry class with me, and we talk about this to this day all the time, her eyes rolled in the back of her head, and she basically was like, and did this whole chant. We were, it was, it was like, she was possessed by the devil for 30 seconds, and then she came out of it, and was like, and that is speaking in tongues. Cheryl, that is amazing. It's a true yeah. story. That's a true story. And so they call that what? What's the fancy name for that? Um, glossolalia. Yes, I've observed glossolalia in real life. Oh, and to this day, my God. I don't know if it's legit. Like, I feel like if you really speak in no, tongues, I you must have to be meditating and then you something do. comes to you. Yes, right? I would agree that that's probably it. If her eyes rolled back, because I've, I've seen enough. TV shows that are like documenting this kind of shit. That's what happens. That their eyes roll back but in their head. How you call upon it? Like, okay, I think, yes, I'm going to speak in tongues right yeah. now. Let I think just... you've meditated enough to like, I don't know. That is crazy. It was the that weirdest I, shit. Were you guys super scared? This is, yeah. Catholic high school in the 80s. Did you go home and tell? Did you I tell sh- the nuns? Like, did the nuns freak out? We didn't tell anybody. But we I didn't see I the chemistry told... teacher again. No, no. She was there right through graduation. Oh, wow. I only had her that one year. We talked about it amongst ourselves. But it was the 80s. Weird shit happened all the <laughs> yeah, time. True. You didn't always talk about it. I think I told my mom, maybe. And she was like, she probably oh, thought you were lying. That's weird. <laughs> or... <laughs> Like was was she reading the Bible while she was doing Seriously. it? What and so no, a book that with is a, a total pagan symbol on it. Tangent, but I guess it's okay. a legit. It's a wow, supposedly a legit thing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, one definition used by linguists um, to define what your um, chemistry teacher was doing. Is the fluid vocalization of speech-like syllables that lack any readily comprehended meaning, in some cases as part of a religious practice in which it is believed to be a divine divine language unknown to the speaker. Um, I'm going to try my best here. Uh, Or washia della sende, for example, is one of the many variations of words that can exist when a person is experiencing glossolalia. It is practiced in Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity, which uh, friendly Pentecostal, Pentecostal yeah. Devilish. I I, 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 I don't know my religion, well, but, but charismatic Christianity. What's that? 
nice Christian. The kind yeah. that where you go and dance. I think <laughs> that's like Southern Baptist. Oh, oh, got you, got. Oh, but I know where you're going because they're charismatic. Like, they are charismatic. Okay, gotcha. There we go. Okay. In their 2004 book, Jerry Kennedy and Rob Churchill, again, eh, don't know who they are, but they suggest that the possibility that the Voynich manuscript may be a case of glossolalia channeling or outsider art, which I actually don't Which means someone was speaking, speaking in tongues and then writing at the same time? So that's or? why it's a lot of probably just lines, because they're like, la 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, if so, the author felt compelled to write large amounts of text in a, in a mat. Susie, take a breath. start. Take two. If so, the author felt compelled to write large amounts of text in a manner which resembles stream of consciousness. So, kind of like a J.D. Salinger book. Uh, either because of voices heard or because of an urge. This often takes place in an invented language in Glossolalia usually made up of fragments of the author's own language, Latin. Yeah. No. Oh. Although invented scripts are, uh, for this purpose, are rare. Yeah. Um, so, like, as in, you would still be writing in your own language, but it would be words that don't make sense. sense. So this Wojnik manuscript is unusual and rare because... You can't even tell what language, language it, is. it is. And the Latin words are not... Yeah, I'm really curious about, about the Latin, Latin words. Because enough. those could be translated and then you could see if there's any themes that are popping it up. Yeah. yeah. Kennedy and Churchill use Hildegard von Bingen's work to point out similarities between the Voynich manus manuscript and the il illustrations she drew when she was suffering from severe bouts of migraine, which can induce a trance-like state prone to glossolalia. Do you speak in so tongues you're when you have me, your migraines? Um, you're so telling me that when I have my migraines that I could start speaking in tongues? Maybe it's your your inner self trying to um, fight it. Maybe you should that's, just yeah. embracing it. Not, maybe I will. I'll record myself next time. It's crazy. Um... And she wrote when she had my great, and now, now I'm, like, trying to really absorb No, no, this. no. She, um, she, so the illustrations in the Voynich manuscripts yes, and the are similar to that hers. she drew when she was in okay. a migraine, or having a migraine, um, she would draw. So trying to find patterns, and this was one pattern where they were able to... I can tell you one damn thing i am not drawing when i have a migraine right. yeah so the drawings well though, it says that it can so, so severe bouts of migraine which can induce a trance like state so oh I don't so know. maybe she was like yeah like you said fighting to try and but the That's drawings weird. though because there were markings that were like somebody writing in a different mm -hmm. language then there were actual images of plant life that some that people could tell this is a certain plant. Yeah. This is a plant. We don't know what it is. But the drawings, so there were other drawings that weren't descript. Because then no. there were the little women. No, I think there were. I think they were like, I think they were definitely, because it said that it was set up like a European, like, 
herbology like book. Yeah. So it would have an illustration and then describe it. So I think who knows, maybe she was like this person if 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 glossolalia is really what was happening, maybe some alien trying to communicate their her. <laughs> their world. Yeah. And trying to describe I don't know. Uh-huh. Or it's like Or Glossolalia. She she was interpreting her own world. Exactly. In a different like in a language you can't understand. So it's like you know. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta do some deeper dives on speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. especially oh, after the chemistry 100%. teacher Cheryl. That is such a good story. <laughs> you know, and as I was um, telling the story, the whole time I'm trying to remember this woman's name, and I'm trying to remember, and it just came to me. It was Ms. Pedelford. Well, that's an interesting Shout name. out if you're listening! <laughs> Pedelford. She would probably name. really like our I podcast. I can picture her to this day. I can picture that woman vividly. She would like our I podcast. I would, too. probably would. Yeah. Um, so, the theory... Is virtually impossible to prove or disprove short of deciphering the text. Kennedy and Churchill, who wrote about this uh, glossolalia theory, are themselves not convinced of the hypothesis, but consider it plausible. In the culminating chapter of their work, Kennedy states his belief that it is a hoax or a forgery. Churchill acknowledges the possibility that the manuscript is either a synthetic forgotten language or a forgery as the preeminent theory. However, he concludes that the manuscript is a genuine creation. So, like, so it's that's real. Like, like, someone actually wrote it. And I don't think people that, in the 1400s would have done fraud. Like, I just think that they... Yeah. they oh, yeah. No, I, that's what he's saying. saying is, like, he thinks... So, he thinks that it's a genuine creation and that someone in the 1400s was suffering from mental illness or delusion and... Wrote it like, like a manic. Kind yeah, of yes, And the closest, closest that they've observed is that woman who suffered from migraines. That her books are similar, or her manuscripts. Her, like, yeah, her okay. drawings. Um, and so where is it now? In 1969, the Voynich manuscript was donated by Hans P. Krauss to Yale University's Beneki Rare Book and Manuscript Library. Wow. Or it is cataloged under call number MS four zero. So it's in Yale. We could go to we could we could drive there. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's our next, next episode. Field trip. We whenever we're doing this yeah. field trip to Yale because first of all I also would love to see Yale because I've yes. never seen it. Yeah, I know. There's, I'm with you. And it's not that far. And it's not that far. And we could do some speaking in tongues. Yes. Um, recordings. But yes. holy shit, we could see this in real uh, life. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to say, and it's in England in it's the so, vault of yeah. Sir so-and-so. Nope, the fact that we could right actually across the border. We're doing this. Again. And we could, we could so, interview a, a librarian. So my theory, yes, as you started to talk about the herbology and then the pictures of the small women and that it was the Harry Potter system, <laughs> I think... That these these were women, medieval women, who because isn't that you know wasn't that around the time of like witchcraft yes. and yes. women who were you yes. know burned mm-hmm. for so I think that this was an underground support system for women 
who were probably making um, herbal like remedies. remedies for childbirth or other things. Um, and then, if so, I want in. Yes. Does this still exist? Yeah, it sounds and amazing. I, and I yeah. think the fact that it was only men who researched this. I think it was, again, this underground system of women. It probably died with that group of women mm, yep. who had to protect this information. Right. It couldn't be shared or they would be killed because right. at that time that's... Right. And maybe so, it was a code oh, that they wrote. And a it cipher. was a code. Yeah. yeah. It was a code. It I don't think to, it was tongues. I it don't... It has to be a code. My theory is that it wasn't... There was no tongues. It was a code that this, like, secret society of women shared. had to protect... Cheryl, yeah. um, I love that. That's love my that theory. theory. I don't think it's UFOs. I think it was like women helping women in, I don't know, medicine, underground medicine. I freaking love that. So, but I want to go see it. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. Right. We've got, two, oh my gosh, we have two field trips, one for next year for oh. Susan's birthday, and this one, and I'm super excited. I'm super excited. Can't wait to tell Renee. So... <laughs> Let's start with the fucks we, or finish with the fucks we give, and then, um, uh, you want to go first? I'll go first, since this is, like, a long episode, so I'm going to do a small fuck that I give, which is that last episode, Game of Thrones, oh, that tomorrow was night. <laughs> okay, that's well, okay. We'll, you we'll share it. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to miss yeah. the most about yeah, Game of Thrones, perfect. and you can tell me, so Good. I... I don't know what I'm going to do when I can't look forward to Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. What, was that yours too, Susan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, mine's much deeper than Jon Snow. No, it's not. <laughs> but I just, I, I feel like every episode is a masterpiece. And for us, doing what we do and working in production, it, the fact that they pull this off, this mm. like cinematic masterpiece, as much as they do and have been doing for what eight seasons yeah um i'm just it's a feat and i'm just really sad to see it end i just have to ask because we're all producers here do you watch game of thrones yes yes you do okay just making sure because i we all do i have literally come across like no one at my work watches it there's like one other person yeah so so i held out for a really long time i did i was like we were dragons and right what oh sign me up we were on the first episode oh oh, i was first episode as soon as i heard about it i was like ned stark was my favorite and then he got killed and sean bean is like literally my favorite person and when he got killed i was I'm like, that's why it's such. A I good don't know show. if I'm going to season two. Yeah, but yes, I've been watching since the beginning. So one thing, like I've really enjoyed the season because I think that although the pacing is out of control, it's so fast, everything's mm. happening way too quickly. I think the arcs are are right. But one thing that really bothered me was in the last episode, they had. Jamie say a, a line that was so that like co- totally destroyed like ten years of character development. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was was it when he said goodbye to no, Brienne when, when he um That's when amazing. he's saying goodbye to Tyrion and he like for the last time ever and they're hugging yeah, and he's like yeah. nah I never really much cared for the people of King's Landing anyway. It's like that is so that you, is yeah your entire character is not is it's based not cr- on the fact that. You saved the entire population of King's Landing yeah. because you care. Yeah. And, and that, nobody knows that. And they all hate you. Yes. 
because you killed the king, but you don't tell. You so it's it. like that point of pride for him. Yes. And for him to say that, it's like you've come way too far now. To say that. To say that. So, so I, that so really my problem, and we'll just continue with the fucks I give with what going on the Game of Thrones pace because I'm with you both. I am. I mean, so, I love it. I'm so sad. I am so, so, so sad. My issue was the fact that Cersei didn't get killed in a better way. Like, mm-hmm. she went down with her brother, which I get because that somebody had, said, like, yeah. somebody said they came to this world together, they're going to go out together. I think maybe she it was did. At, But I was like, that motherfucker should have been, like, like bow and arrowed, like, or, or something. Or something. And my other problem was, yes, the arcs have been great. However, I feel like um, Daenerys now is, like, went, like, too far. far Like, her character, like, her character had so many arcs during the seasons, but now it's, like, you're falling off the fucking radar now. It went like this. It went... She jumped the dragon. And then... She jumped... (laughs) I just was like, in that that last, like, episode, I was like, what the fuck? John, you have to kill her. I heard that in the, um, in the books, it's flushed out a lot more as to, like, the inner workings of her brain and Mm. how she's starting to go mad. And you sort of see it at the beginning. Flushed out. Sorry, I do that all the time. (laughs) I just had a conversation at work about the flushed out versus fleshed out. And people say both, but fleshed out. Yeah, fleshed out. Is what I meant to say. When yeah. I when I write it, I say flushed out. Okay. When I say it, I say flushed out. I, a lot of people do. So annoying. I know. Um, but yeah, overall, like, really, I'm going to miss the series. Because yeah. it's like, I feel like it's just something to look forward to every Sunday that, you know, it's become kind of a tradition of me and my boyfriend, like, make the time to mm-hmm. sit together, make sure... It's up and ready at 8.45, so at we do the same thing. we can just go mm-hmm. right in, and yeah. I'm going to miss that. Yeah. yeah. it's There's always a little, like, let down and sadness after a yeah. big show ends I like can't. that. This and, one's, and this this one's one, big. I don't know about you guys, again, as, like, from the producer perspective, but I have moments where I'm just, like, along for the ride, mm-hmm. and I'm like, mm-hmm. this is amazing, and then every so often my brain will switch to... Oh my god! How they do? That? How many pr- producers must work on the show, and how much anxiety do they have, and how many hours a day Actually, do they work? And then I start I get to get anxiety. anxiety. Like I think it's like transferred, like sympathy anxiety yeah. mm-hmm. for the the producers on Game of Thrones, and I'm like, I, I, I get like a little. Can bit you of imagine? And, oh, well, yes. me too, because like the thing is, is like just like uh, me too. And, like, the night shoots that they've been on. Yes. And night shoots uh, are the 55. worst. Yeah. And it's oh it, it's the same thing. I get PTSD from my yeah. days of feature film, live action, night shoots. And the it is a feature film in ep- each episode. Yeah. And so the amount of work that these guys put in, actors, crew, producers, directors, yeah. like... Yeah. It's nutballs. Crazy. So I can't, so there's a two-hour documentary, I think, that's, that will come out the week yeah. after the last Of making of? Of just behind the scenes, that's the awesome. whole, like, wrap-up. So I'm super, super excited about that. I'm sure we'll probably all love that. So Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in. 
You can find us on all the social medias, although, you know, maybe we don't post to it every day, but please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook at Declassified Podcast, and... Declassifieds with a Y. Yes. Please uh, rate, subscribe, and review. And tell your friends. Thanks. Bye.